people tonight, but Proverbs 14, go to verse number one, and I'll let you guess how far we're going to get tonight <laughs> as I read through the text. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. He that walketh with his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his way despiseth him. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increases by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not, but knowledge is easy unto him that hath, that, excuse me, that hath unto him that understandeth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for tonight. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you never change. Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful tonight, Lord, that I will always find you exactly the same. Lord, that's big in my heart tonight, Lord. Lord, if Paul could give up his whole life and his livelihood and sell out for this thing called the gospel because he believed God, you had a plan and a purpose for his life. What about me? What about us that are here tonight, Lord? Lord, Peter left everything behind to become a fisher of men. Lord, what about us? Lord, you're the same tonight. And I pray, Father, tonight, you just work on our hearts real good tonight. Lord, we ask you that as we've read the word of God, Lord, it'll say far more than I could ever say tonight. And I pray, Lord, this evening, Lord, your, will, your word would have its perfect will tonight and way this evening. I pray, Lord, it find its resting place in open hearts and open minds and open ears this evening. I pray, Lord, it wouldn't bounce off our hearts, but, Lord, it just soak deep down in there tonight, Lord, and it just become real and personal to us tonight, Lord. It would work in our lives this evening. I pray, Lord, tonight you'd hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, you me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. Lord, I just want to be used of you one more time tonight. Lord, what a privilege it is, Lord, to stand in this place with this book with this purpose. And I pray, Lord, tonight, Lord, you'd guard my heart, guard my lips tonight. Lord, simply use me for your glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. There's a phrase uh, that as I was reading through Proverbs 14, and really it, it kind of applies almost all the way to the end of Proverbs. We are in the section of Proverbs that we are literally reading Proverbs. He's a preacher, that don't make any kind of sense. What do you mean by that? Well, a proverb is a short, wise phrase. And now we've come to the place in Proverbs, we kind of were in it in, in chapter number 13, where it's just rapid fire, sentence after sentence, verse after verse. It's like jumping from one thing to the next, but they're just these short sayings that are so full of wisdom. Now, as I was reading this, I, I was reminded of that phrase, you've probably heard it before, a little goes a long way. And there's some things in life, we just need a little bit of them because they go a long way. And by way of introduction, I, I thought of two, two things, one for a male, one for a female, that a little goes a long way. When it comes to a man, it's cologne. A little goes a long way. If I come up to you and I give you one of the, you know how men do, we shake hands, we pull in for the hug, and your cologne causes me to cough and sneeze, it is not a compliment to the sin. I am simply trying to survive, right? A little goes a long way. So preacher, it's not that bad. Come to us with camp next year. 
right? You will go into that young men's dorm. It will go from smells that are undescribable and inhumane to Axe and Old Spice and Bob and whatever the whatever cologne they brought with them, and it just burns up your nostrils. You you go from crying because it smells bad to because to you're thinking, where's my gas mask at? Right, these smells a little goes a long way. If you needed a lot of it, they'd sell it to you by the gallon, and not by those little bottles. So we know a little goes a long way when it comes to cologne for for men. But ladies, can I say tonight, your instance would be makeup. A little goes a long way. What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean, when you wipe it off, your identity shouldn't change. <laughs> a little goes a long way. And here's the thing tonight. We're in Proverbs 14. There's these little phrases. One after another, after another, can I say tonight, they go a long way. And I really think we'd be doing the Bible a disservice if I tried to cram all of chapter number 14 into one message. The reality is you can go verse by verse in chapter number 14, each verse warrants its own message. You could, we, we could just put it in park and for the next six weeks stay in chapter number 14, right? And just say, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna be in the book of Proverbs until Jesus comes or I die, one of the two, Right? And we're going to be here, but tonight we're going to, we're going to look at these six verses, and, and it's, it's, you can't really get one solid theme out of these verses. When you preach expository, you're to go and get your text, and you find the subject of that text, and you stay on that subject as you go through, but the subject is quickly changing here, and so we're just going to deal with them verse by verse. We're going to take a little and let it go a long way for us tonight. We're going to take a little by a little, and we'll find out a little really does go a long way way. I've got six points for you tonight. I promise you they are little, right? That doesn't mean it's going to take me a short time to preach them, but they're little, amen? Notice number one, we see a constructive woman. We, we see a constructive woman. Verse number one, a, every wise woman buildeth her house. Notice that is a statement there that says if, if a woman is to build her house, then she must have what? Wisdom. Every, not just a few, not a handful, not just the pastor's wife, but every wise woman buildeth her house. And that's the preacher, I want to be a wise woman. Well, it do good for you to understand what does it mean to build your house. Now, Solomon here isn't talking about a physical sense. In essence, not preacher, I'm a wise woman. Give me the hammer, give me the nails, order the lumber. I'm going to build my house. Now, if you're capable of doing that, that's wonderful. But that's not what the Bible is expressly saying to us. Not really, once again, we are, we are introduced or reintroduced to two ladies that we've already met. We've already met Miss Wisdom and Miss Foolishness. We met them back in the beginning of Proverbs. And it talked about how she built her house, the wise woman built her house with seven pillars and uh, does all these different things, whereas the foolish woman does the exact different thing or exact opposite thing here. We see uh, that the wise woman buildeth. That means to establish. That means causes to continue. In essence, a wise woman looks to her house and says, how can I improve this? How can I help this grow? How can I encourage my husband? How can I encourage my children? How can I encourage my grandchildren? How can I encourage my nieces, and my nephews? And How can I build up the house that God has given me. But the foolish woman, knows what the foolish woman does. The foolish plucketh it down with her 
hands. We see here tonight there is a construction of the wise woman and there is a plucking by the foolish woman. Both of them require the action of the hands. In essence tonight, you can't build anything without action. You can dream about building things. You can talk about building things. But if you're going to build something, it requires action, which ties back to last week. Things require action. Right, but see, a wise woman builds up the foolish woman, plucking it down. It literally means to pull it down piece by piece. I got to think about that word plucking. I, I cannot think of that word in a positive connotation. Right? If you were to, I, I go and get my hair cut like every other week. And when I'm getting my hair cut, the, the person that's cutting my hair will say, hey, did that pull your hair? Did it, did it pull your beard? And I'll say, no, it's fine. But can I say that thing began to pluck my hair? I'm fine with going to get my hair cut, but I do not want to go get my hair plucked. I thought about a chicken. Right? I don't think the chicken enjoys the plucking process. That's why you wring the neck before you do it. You take it out of its misery before you put it into more misery, right? You, and you, could you imagine? It would not be a, a, a wonderful experience. But we see here tonight that a, a woman, the, and we understand tonight God's design, God's order. He made the man the head of the house and he made the woman the heart of the home. Can I say tonight, if there's ever been any good men, you can mark it down. There's a good lady beside him. And we see here tonight that you ladies have an awesome responsibility and have an awesome uh, uh, probability in that sense. When it's done right and it's done according to God's word, God will allow you to build something that continues on. But if it's done foolishly, piece by piece you will begin to pluck away what God has given you. And we see tonight that God's, the, the wise woman steps back and says, God has given me this not to pluck away from, but to build upon and to build to and to add to. And here's the thing tonight, not trying to be blunt with you, but you'll be one or the other. You, you, and, and at some points in your life, you may be one, and at some points, if you don't get it uh, right with the Lord and you don't allow the Holy Ghost to guide you and lead you, you'll begin to find yourself on the other side. You're gonna be one or the other. Now, there's no such thing as straddling a fence and living the Christian life. You're either in or you're out, right? You're either doing or you're not. And you'll be either one tonight and you realize that, that well, preacher, how can I build or how can I, what, what does construction look like and what does plucking look like? Well, what about your attitude? Do you have a constructive attitude towards your home? Do you have a construction, constructive attitude toward your husband? Not that you're trying to fix him, right? Because let, let, me, let, me, let me let you in on a secret tonight that I've learned in five years of pastoring. You can't fix people. You just can't do it tonight. Oh, no, preacher, you don't understand. I'm going to fix that man. No, you ain't. He still, I don't care how many times you nag him. I don't care how many times you, you threaten him. He's still going to leave his clothes on the bathroom floor. He's still going to forget to wash his hands before he eats dinner. He's still going to, he cut, why? He's a man. It's how we operate. <laughs> That's why if I don't write it down, I'm not going to remember it. Right, but your attitude, it isn't how can I fix him or how can I fix my children. How can I build them up? How can I be constructive in their life? 
Notice the foolish woman, she has the wrong attitude. She plucks piece by piece. Well, I tell you what, you're, you're just good for nothing. You don't ever, you, you don't ever show me. Be careful, ladies, speaking in those kind of terms. You don't ever, you never, yeah, yeah, be careful. Just because, why, preacher? Because just because you, doesn't, you don't always notice it doesn't mean he hasn't tried. We haven't realized it. Because you gotta realize, men and women, this first point's getting real long. <laughs> men and women operate completely differently. Why? That's why we're different, amen? <laughs> we're, we're living in a society that says, oh, you guys are the same. Can I say tonight, we are completely different. And that's by God's design. God didn't need two women. God didn't need two men. God needed a man and a woman because that's the way he designed it tonight. But you got to be careful with your attitude. You can have an attitude that plucks away at their character, that plucks away at their confidence, that plucks away at their ability, that plucks away at their desire to do right. Somewhere in your Bible, it's in the book of Proverbs, it says something about a, a, a nagging woman, a contentious woman is like a, a dripping water. In essence, it, it's one of those, if you've ever heard just hear water drip, 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 it'll drive you crazy. And we see here tonight that you ladies have the ability to build up or to tear down simply with your attitude. Simply with your attitude tonight. And then not just your attitude towards your spouse, but your attitude toward children. We're living in a generation that people are having children and they have to step back and they're not sure why they're having them. Because now I've got them, now how do I get rid of them? How, who do I pawn them off on? How, where's the babysitter at? Right, can I say tonight if... <laughs> Can I say, I, 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 I love my three children. Our fourth one is in heaven, but I, I love them dearly, and I'm not trying to pawn them off on anybody. They're my kids, right? I want to spend time with them. But your attitude, also your actions, the right actions. And no doubt we could jump over into the extreme tonight and say things like infidelity, uh, adultery. They definitely can pluck apart a house and tear it apart. But can I say even the right actions can build up a house. Getting along with God and his word and saying, Lord, what kind of wife want me to be? Not what kind of wife does society tell me that I, well, not even necessarily the kind of wife that preacher, uh, the preacher's preaching about, but God, according to your word, I want to be a wise woman that builds up with my actions. But not only your attitude and your actions, what about your allowances? When you allow the right things into the home, it builds up the home. But if you allow the wrong allowances, the wrong influences, piece by piece, it's going to pluck apart your home. And we see here tonight that there is a constructive woman. Now notice the accountability tonight. Every wise woman buildeth her house. But the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. What's the Bible trying to do there, preacher? It's trying to help you to realize how accountable you are. Who's actually responsible? Oh, preacher, you don't understand my husband. Hold on a second. We already, we've already established you can't fix nobody. And can I say that's vice versa as well? Men can't fix women, and women can't fix men. Right, but you, you, we can try to blame, well, if my wife would just do, then I, uh, time out, that's not how it works. My husband, if, if he was just like so-and-so's husband, then I could, I could enjoy it. No, time out, it's your house. It's your hands tonight. 
The choice is yours. So you simply have to ask yourselves, are you, a, are you building up or are you breaking down your home? Are you constructing or are you plucking it apart piece by piece? Here's the thing. Going back to the chicken tonight, you can only pluck so many feathers until the feathers are gone. Can I say tonight, if you're not careful, you can cause damage to your home that only God will be able to fix and God will be able to solve and put back together. We see a constructive woman. Are you building up or are you breaking down your home? Well, preacher, you need to deal with the men. Husbands, fathers, provoke not your children right. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church tonight. Well, we, we all got our responsibility. But we always like to pick out everybody. They're not doing their thing. The Bible says judge yourself first. Right, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? We see a constructive woman. Notice this, we see a concerned walker. A concerned walker, look at verse number two. He that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him. Some people do right because the preacher's watching. Some people do right because their boss is watching. Some people do right because mom and dad are watching. Some people do right because they think Santa Claus is watching. A Christian's mentality towards doing right shouldn't simply be, or shouldn't be wholly based on the fact that we know God is watching. If you've ever dealt with children who've disobeyed and, well, you didn't see me do it and they didn't see me do it, what is our, what is, oh, matter of fact, there's been some young people in our church I've had to deal with. Listen, even if they never, anybody else never seen it, who saw it? God saw it. We know that to be true tonight because he's omniscient. He knows all and he sees all. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. But if our mentality is, I'm only doing it because I know God is watching, can I say tonight that's shallow? We ought to do right not because, just because God is watching, but because who God is. And he's righteous and he's holy and that we believe God is always right. And if God is always right, then his way is always right. And when he tells us what to do, we should do it because it's the right thing to do. Somebody said it this way, do right because it's the right thing to do. Amen. And when we do right, we are testifying that we believe God is right. When we do wrong or perverse, what it says right there in verse number two, we are testifying that we think we know better than God. God, you've made it real clear in your word. This is what you want me to do. But Lord, you don't understand the head that I got on my shoulders. I can figure this out by myself. And the moment we develop that kind of attitude, now I don't think we'd foolishly stand up and say, I know better than God. But our actions a lot of times speak a whole lot louder than our words do. When we know what we're supposed to do, him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. And so the moment you and I know what is right according to the word of God and we choose to do otherwise and we choose to do what is perverse as it says there in verse number two, our hearts cloud, or loudly displaying, I know better than God. But a concerned walker says, I'm gonna walk the right way and do the right things because God is right. And, and I, I know he's watching, but more than that, I know he's right and so I'm willing to trust him to do that which is right. What kind of testimony or reactions telling others about God? We see a constructive woman. We see a concerned walker. Notice number three, we see a careful talker. A careful talker. Look at verse number three. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Man, we've been told our whole life, think before you speak. We've been told if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. 
Well, I, I wrote this down. I said, a bit tongue will always be better than a broken reputation. And we see, we've been told that our whole life, and, and be quiet, be silent, don't speak unless you, you, you know what you're supposed to be saying. I think one thing we often overlook in the reality of our words, what, what we say out of our mouth, is that which comes out of our mouth is really an overflow from our heart. Right? One thing we often, our words are a direct reflection of our hearts. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. So those words and the tone and the attitude and the, 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 the whatever you else adjective you want to put right there, as they come out of your mouth, it is really a reflection and an outflow from where your heart currently is. Our words will either condemn us or cement us. Notice what he says right there in verse number three, in the mouth of foolish is a rod of pride. In essence, they are speaking one thing without realizing that really they are setting themselves up for failure. Right, a great example of this in your Bible is in, in 1 Samuel 17 between David and Goliath. Right, they, they, David goes to Saul and says, Saul, I will, I will take on this uncircumcised Philistine and, and I've defeated a bear, I've defeated a lion. What is a giant, right? Can I say tonight, <laughs> I, I thought I lived a pretty cool teenage life. Right, I played video games, played sports, never fought a lion and I never fought a bear. But David did. And the Bible still calls him ruddy, right? He's, he's a young boy, a young lad, and, and he stands up to Saul, and he says, Saul, I, I'm not scared of him, not of my own ability. He said, but the Lord delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the hand of the bear. What is a giant? What is a giant? And so David marches out there with nothing but a sling and, and, and all of that, and, and here comes Goliath, and Goliath begins to bark, and Goliath begins to yell. And the Bible says the Philistine came and drew near and under David, man that bare the shield went before him and when the Philistine looked about and saw David he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance and the Philistine said unto him David am I a dog or said unto David am I a dog that thou comest me with staves and the Philistine cursed David by his God and the Philistine said to David come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field then David said to the Philistine thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield I but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied this day will the, the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you in, or he will, and he will give you into our hands. Can I say, I think the moment that stone stuck into the forehead of the giant in the Goliath, I think he said, probably said, I probably shouldn't have said all that stuff I said. Right, his boasting, his pride, his arrogance, without him realizing it tonight, he was literally setting himself up for failure. And here comes David, who's speaking boldly, but humbly. I'm not here to beat you, Goliath. I'm not here to gain popularity. I'm not even really here to see who's more macho than the other. Goliath, I've come out here because there's a God in Israel who you've cussed and who you've denied, and I've had enough of it. I'm going to stand for him. I'm going to do that which is right. And the, we see how the talking was different there. Our great example of David and Goliath, let me ask you now, do your words brag on you or the Lord? I love it when somebody says, I'm not bragging on myself. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I've, been, I've been guilty. I'm not bragging on myself, but 
Or just to say, you know, here's what the Lord's done for me. Here's what the Lord showed me. Here's, here's how the Lord, because reality is tonight, we have nothing in and of ourselves to brag about. Well, I've said this before. Matter of fact, we know the Bible teaches we're made from the dust of the earth, right? And one day, uh, our bodies return to the dust of the earth. And we've never called anybody over to our house and said, hey, you got to come see my dust real quick. My dust is wonderful. My dust is great. My dust is bigger than yours. Right, that's when we begin to brag upon ourselves. That's what we're, we're bragging on dust. Who's got the bigger dust pile? Right, do your words brag on you or do they brag on the Lord? We see a careful talker. Notice number four, we see a challenging climate. We see a challenging climate. Look at verse number four. And where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. That's a wonderful verse in your Bible, amen? It's one of those verses that you're reading through Proverbs, you're saying, what in the world is going on here? Because in my vernacular, the word crib is somewhere for a baby. And I'm thinking, what in the world do an ox and a baby have to do together? What does an ox and a clean crib have to do? Well, you realize tonight, a crib, and, and here in the book of Proverbs, it's talking about a place where the ox stayed. We call it a stable, we call it uh, a barn in that sense, but it's where they stayed at. And we see here tonight that a, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. Right, but much increases by the strength of the ox. And the Bible oxen were animals of sacrifice or service. They're animals of sacrifice or service. We could go back to the Old Testament, and well, we're in the Old Testament tonight, but we could go back to the books of Exodus where God gives out those laws and gives out those, those different things to those children of Israel, and they were to sacrifice the oxen. Now, if that oxen was not used for sacrifice, it was used for service. One preacher said that oxen were the biblical tractors and pickups of their day. They were used to plow fields, to carry goods to market, uh, and they are often messy animals. Not just because of the fact they're animals, but because of the work they've kind of done. If you've never plowed a field, you've never been around, uh, all that kind of thing, you don't understand how messy it can get and how quickly it gets messy. And we see here tonight that these oxen, no doubt they were, they were dirty animals. They'd come back from the field. They'd come back from their journeys, come back from their service. And they'd come into a crib, and a dirty animal in a cream crib clean crib makes the crib dirty. (laughs) And so we see that tonight and you could have a clean crib but you'd lose all your productivity. Oh, I'm tired of this crib being, just get rid of the oxen. Right, you'll have a clean crib. In essence, what Solomon is trying to teach you and I here tonight is that, oh, we can have a, a clean, perfect little church where everybody is wonderful and everything's fine and everything's perfect, there probably won't be a whole lot of work getting done. What you have to realize tonight is a a church that is active and growing and serving, it's gonna be like that plow oxen stall. It's gonna get dirty every now and again just from the effect of effort and work, right? Because I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I wasn't perfect. I didn't have it all figured out. In essence, tonight, if you're ministering to people, you're not going to find them in the perfect places of life. You're not going to find them when everything's seemingly going well. A lot of times, as you're ministering and sharing the gospel and living for God and trying to be a help and encouragement, you're going to find people in a mess. Right? Matter of fact, you know, the, the, the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus. He goes to lunch with publicans and sinners. Why? Because he came to seek those that needed a savior. He came to find those which were lost. He came to bring the gospel to those that desperately needed it tonight. 
Now, this modern-day crowd says that, well, since Jesus went to sinners and he had lunch with Zacchaeus and, he, and he, he helped that woman caught in adultery and he found that other woman at the well, because Jesus was involved in the life of a sinner, that means I have to be like a sinner. I challenge you to find anywhere in our Bibles where God or Jesus Christ ever participated in the sin. Never did. I don't think Jesus would be for this whole new thing. Let's go to the bar and win people to Jesus. Let's share a drink with them and, and let's drink with them. They're, some of the craziest things we see in our society makes my brain hurt. Brews and hymns. Let's get drunk and sing hymns together. It's almost sacrilegious in my book. But we see here tonight that Jesus wouldn't have never done that. But at the same time, as you and I go out into the world, right, and as you and I go out and people, we're going to find ourselves in messy situations, right? We're going to find people whose lives are ate up with sin and what we need to make sure we are doing, right? And, and you, you, we, could, we could do away with all that and have a real clean church without any problems. Can I say tonight, I, to be honest with you, I've seen, I've seen the underbelly of ministry. I've seen dark things and I've seen hard times and I've seen all of that tonight. But something, and it's the Lord inside of me said, it just, that's not me. That's, that's not the Lord in those situations. But we see here tonight that there's this need for cleaning. I remember working in the cabinet shop, and really, it's not just a cabinet shop, it's in my shed at the house, too. But I'll get, I'll get to working. And, but I remember one time in the cabinet shop, man, we were slapped, just busy, backed up. I mean, not enough help, and... Man, we had, you know, job after job after job coming through. And I had cabinet parts all over my area. I had sawdust everywhere, tools scattered all across my area. And, I mean, I was just knocking cabinet out and, and, and just getting my, trying my best to get the work done and, and get it to where it was supposed to be and, and all of that kind of stuff. But you would look at my, my, my work area and it looked like a tornado hit it. There was stuff everywhere. And finally, my foreman came to me. He said, listen, Tate, before you start another job, before you clock into another job, I need you to clock into cleanup and clean up your area. I said, but, but if I slow down to clean up, we're going to get even further behind. He said, you're going to have to clean up before you hurt yourself. He said, you got cabinet part. You're, you're about to trip over and fall onto a saw. You can't have that. You can't have, you can't have sawdust over here. That you, there's so much of it, you could build a snowman out of it. Stuff catches on fire, it explodes. He said, before you go any further... You got to clean up before you hurt yourself. Can I say the Christian life, when we are there and we're ministering, we're helping and weariness sets in and, and fatigue sets in, we need to make sure we're taking time to clean the crib. But you don't throw out the oxen. Right, and the same is true for people in church, right? I found out that I don't pastor perfect people. And you found out your pastor isn't perfect. Right, we have problems, we have disagreements, and, and, and it's one of those things, and a lot of times we go to church discipline, right? Well, we're going to church them, we are gonna, we're going to kick them out of the church. Can I say actually the main goal of church discipline is not to kick them out of the church, but for reconciliation, for repentance, get things right. <laughs> if every, if every, every time somebody didn't do what I agreed with or didn't do how I would do it, and I say, all right, get out of here, I don't want you here, we'd have a real clean church, but we wouldn't be doing nothing. We see a challenging climate. Is your clean crib a result of lack of service or work? Then notice number five, we see, a, we see a concrete testimony. Look at verse number five. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. 
That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's about as common sense as common sense comes, amen? This is real simple. Tell the truth, be honest, be a person of integrity. Well, preacher, the person who wrote a good name is rather to be chosen. The great riches must have never been rich. I'm pretty sure Solomon was rich. Pretty sure Solomon had more money than you and I could ever dream of tonight. And when he stepped back and said, you know what? I'd rather have a good name than have all this. We realize tonight that you can have all the money you want, but if you had a lie to get it, everybody's going to know that. You ain't going to be hiding from nobody. I think it's to say, uh, would you rather be known as an honest person or a dishonest person? Someone who's going to tell the truth and love or someone who's going to be dishonest because they want to be popular or they, 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 they want to fit in in that sense. The only people who don't like honest people are people who don't want people to be honest with them. <laughs> we all ought to desire not just to be honest people but to surround ourselves with honest people. Let me ask you now, how many want an honest friend? I want an honest friend. If I've got something stuck in my teeth, I want them to tell me. <laughs> I got a hole in my britches, I need them to tell me. Right, I, that's, that's honestly the same thing is true, not just in that sense, but in the spiritual life as well, as a spiritual Christian, that we need to be honest. Honest with people. We see a concrete testimony. The notice number six tonight will be done. We see a conceited understanding. A conceited understanding. Look at verse number six. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. The, stor the scorner seeks but doesn't find. Well, why, preacher? Why doesn't this, I mean, isn't that what you told us to do? Isn't that what God tells us to do? If we lack wisdom, seek it, look for it, ask for it. Here's the score. He's seeking wisdom and he finds it not. Why? He's not trying to find God's wisdom. He's trying to find something that will support and something that will back up his scornful attitude, his bitter attitude, his anger. He's trying to find something that will back him up. And the problem is you don't find that God doesn't have that kind of wisdom. God's wisdom does not, does not condone, nor does it endorse, nor does it encourage that which is wrong. And so the scorners, he looks for it. I'm going to find something or someone that's going to back me up. I'm going to find me a verse that allows me to have this bitter attitude, that allows me to have this angry spirit. He's going to search, he ain't going to find it. The scorner seeks but doesn't find. Why? He's not looking for true wisdom, but agreeable wisdom. Wisdom that supports his position. You can't find wisdom that supports the scorner. Now, the understander, he isn't looking for self-justification. He isn't looking for somebody to agree with him. The understander says, you know what? I don't understand something, so I need to understand it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand this, so let me go to the one who does and ask him why I don't understand this and why I don't know this. But knowledge is easy unto him that understands. The understanding isn't looking for self-justification, but that which is right. And can I say tonight, that which is right is easy to find. It's in the Bible this, this evening. We have a book full of right answers that we're looking for. <laughs> in essence, the understander, the one who desires understanding, says, Lord, I need your wisdom. I can't find my own. Lord, your word said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Here I am, God, I'm asking for wisdom. I, I don't understand this by myself. I don't know the whys. I don't know the questions to ask, Lord, but you said if I need wisdom. And, Lord, I want your wisdom above my wisdom because my wisdom isn't good enough. My wisdom doesn't solve it. My wisdom doesn't fix it, but God's yours does. And, Lord, I need your wisdom. We see a conceited understanding. I need the Lord's help. We see a concrete testimony. We see a challenging climate, a careful talker. 
We see a concerned walker and a constructive woman tonight. I told you tonight, we're six verses in, and that's enough to chew on until next week, amen? That's enough to let deal in our hearts until we meet again on Wednesday night in the book of Proverbs this evening. I don't know about you, but I'm going to try to shove all of chapter 14 down my throat tonight. I'm going <laughs> These six verses tonight are just enough, actually more than enough for me to deal with and study and to meditate on until we meet again on Wednesday night. Let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you.